Well, good morning, church. How are you? Oh, it's so good to be here. In case we haven't met, my name's Will, and I have the honor of serving as senior minister here at Mechanicsville Church of Christ, and we're excited that you guys are here to worship with us. If you're joining us online, we're excited that you're joining us also from wherever you're joining us from on this rainy Memorial Day weekend. Hey, we're starting a brand new sermon series this week, but before we dive into that, let me just ask you guys a couple questions. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone and they're recalling something you said last week, last month, sometime in the past, and you're over here scratching your head thinking, I don't remember saying that at all. Now, I don't think I said that ever. Have anyone been there? A couple hands, okay. All right. Have you ever been there with your spouse? There we go. Okay, now it's, now it's, it's dinging a bell. Okay, a couple people jumping up. Okay, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I can't even count the number of times Hannah will say, hey, you said this. And I'm like, um, okay. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> 98% of the time, I forgot. I just completely blitzed. My memory is terrible. I have to write things down or I'm just going to forget about it completely. So 98% of the time, I think she's right. There's that 2%, though, that I think, you know what? I'm actually pretty sure I didn't say that. But it's okay. I just pretend like I forgot and we'll go on with life. I can't even count the number of times that that's also happened after I preach. I'll get down and I'll, someone will come up. I'll meet people as we're packing up chairs here or after the service and and someone will say, preacher, the way that you said this thing or, or this thing really hit me and, and, and convicted me or I've been praying about this, it, it came up in my devotion time and, and, and you just mentioned it perfectly and I'm here scratching my head thinking, I don't think I said that. <laughs> or sometimes I'll get an email the next day saying, I can't believe you said fill in the blank or that you believe fill in the blank. And I'm thinking... Clearly you didn't listen to the whole message or you heard a little piece of what I had to say and didn't hear the rest of it. We get misheard, misinterpreted, and it's, it's kind of part of life. And I think I have a relatively, maybe somewhat important position up here communicating the word, making sure I can speak as clearly as possible what the word of God says. And I allow room for God to use me. Maybe I don't say something, but the Holy Spirit said something to you that convicted you or encouraged you or spoke to you that wasn't exactly what I said, but the Holy Spirit knew what you needed. And that's amazing when that happens. But overall, my words are pretty insignificant. No one is, is following my words and hanging their lives on my words, but the word of Jesus, we are. And if I have to be so careful with my words in conversation and in delivering this message and preaching the word of God, I wonder how carefully Jesus crafted his words. I wonder what his thought process was, knowing that for generations to come, people would examine this book. They would examine his words, that people would write this down, inspired by the Holy Spirit, would record the things that Jesus said, and we would intently look at this for generations and centuries to come. And sometimes we still get it wrong. Sometimes we still see just a piece of what God wanted us to know. Sometimes we read between the lines incorrectly. Sometimes we, we believe things that Jesus said, 
that he didn't really say. So I'm excited for the next few weeks to be in this sermon series of things Jesus never said. Now, I don't think anyone comes to the text and says, hmm, I I see here where Jesus said this, I'm just going to ignore it. I don't think people do that. I don't think people said, say, come, I see that Jesus didn't say this thing, but it feels good. I like it. And I'm just going to pretend like Jesus said it. I don't think people do that. But I think what happens is that in our culture today, when everything can fit in a t-shirt or on a coffee mug that's Christian and there's businesses making money, that they pick out the good pieces. The things that sound good, that tickle our ears, and we'll put that on a t-shirt, we'll put that on a mug, we'll put that on on a, a Bible cover so that you can have a nice pretty case for your Bible and be encouraged before you even open it. And it doesn't take long before we start building beliefs, we start building doctrine and theology around these tidbits of information, these tidbits of Scripture, rather than Scripture itself, rather than what God's Word says in context and understanding the the entirety of Scripture. We, We build beliefs on just pieces here and there. The other thing that happens sometimes is we have an adversary. We have an enemy named Satan who is powerful, who is cunning, who is deceptive, and he twists scriptures, he uses scriptures in ways that don't make a whole lot of sense. In ways that might work for us, might work for what we want to hear, but is not what God intended it to be. I love the story in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus has just been baptized and he goes to spend 40 days alone with God the Father in the wilderness and he fasts. He goes without food for 40 days. And it's at this point that Satan comes to him when he's physically at his weakest point and he tempts him three times. And each time he tempts him for the same purpose, for the same reason. If you are the Son of God, in other words, prove to me that you are who you say you are. He's questioning Jesus' identity. And I just want to zero in for a moment, just, just for a moment. In Matthew 6, uh, 4, 6, the second temptation, they're at this high point uh, over, overlooking, and Satan says to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, attacking his identity, throw yourself down, for it is written. And here he uses two scriptures from the Old Testament out of context. He says, He will command his angels concerning you, being the first one. In the second scripture, on their hands they will bear you up so that you you will not strike your foot against a stone. See, if we think that Satan doesn't know the scriptures, we're just fooling ourselves. He knows the scriptures. He knows what they mean. And he will take them out of context to convince us they mean something different than what they mean. And we have to be careful, we have to be diligent disciples of Christ to come to the text, to look at the text, to understand what it is that Christ is saying so that we don't miss the main point. There's a lot of people in culture today, believers and non-believers, who think certain things about God. So over the next few weeks, we're just going to identify a half dozen of these, a few of these, and we're going to dismantle them. We're going to look at how It might be a piece of the truth, but it's not the whole truth. Or it might just be flat out wrong, and we have bought it hook, line, and sinker, and we need to make sure that we are believing the right things 
about who Jesus is and what he said. So the first one that we're going to look at today is this idea that God just wants us to be happy. Have you ever heard that before? Has anyone ever told you, doesn't, doesn't God just want me to be happy? Doesn't he just want what, what he wants for me, what I want for me? He just wants me to be happy? Anyone heard that before? Anyone said that before? Anyone willing to admit that? Because sometimes we use that as justification to not do what Scripture says or just to do what we want to do. We've all been there. This idea that God just wants us to be happy. Now, how many of you believe that God does want us to be happy? There's a couple brave people, okay? Yeah, Scripture does teach that. Scripture teaches that He wants to put joy in our life, that He wants us to be happy. Psalm 37, 4 says, Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you your heart's desire. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Philippians 4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. John 15, 11, Jesus even says, These things I have spoken to you that, you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Scripture does teach that God wants us to be happy. The difference is, and the caution here is, He doesn't just want us to be happy. Happiness and joy is not an ultimate goal. It's not an ultimate purpose. It is not what we should be pursuing above all else. And sometimes we have taken this thing that is good, the joy of Christ in our lives, happiness that comes from God. We've taken this good thing and we've made it an ultimate thing. And we have this tendency to ignore Scripture and twist Scripture to make it an ultimate pursuit. But that's not what God intended it to be. In fact, if we go back to Psalm 37, we look at verse 3 right before four, verse 4 that I read earlier. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. And then we get to verse 4 that says that he will give you your heart's desire. And then verse 5 says, commit everything you do to the Lord. And so if we look at these two verses that are surrounding verse 4 that sometimes we can take out of context, if we look at these two verses, there's this idea of, of being in Christ, of abiding with Christ, of, of being connected to Christ, and being obedient to what he's asked us to do. If I look over here at Emmy's shoes, and I really like Emmy's shoes. If you guys haven't seen Emmy's shoes, Emmy has some great shoes on today. If you're online, you're missing out on Emmy's shoes, but Emmy has some great shoes over here. And what would make me really happy is if I took, if I had a pair of Emmy's shoes, right? But I don't want a pair that would fit me. I mean, she, these are some special shoes. She's bedazzled them. She has some custom laces on them. She has some really nice shoes and I want her shoes. So if I, if God just wants me to be happy, then I should take Emmy's shoes. Emmy, would you be happy if I took your shoes? No, adamantly no, absolutely not. If I'm abiding in Christ, if I'm being obedient to Christ, well, clearly taking what is not mine is not rooted in my relationship with Christ. It is not based in my relationship with Christ that I do this thing that in my mind would make me happy. 
And that's the key part of it. It is not doing things that just make me happy. It's being connected to Christ. It is abiding in Christ. That brings joy. That brings happiness to our lives. This is what Jesus was talking about in John chapter 15. As he says that he is the vine and we are the branches. And if we back up just the verse before what I read earlier in verse uh, verse 11. Verse 10 says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I also kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. If we abide in Christ, if we stay connected to the vine, if we can stay connected and obedient to Christ, then he will bring joy and happiness to my life. See, as much as I may want in me shoes, nothing in this world actually brings the lasting happiness and lasting joy the way Christ does. I don't know about you, but some of the things that I really enjoy doing, I love whitewater rafting. Anyone else like whitewater rafting? It is so much fun. I love especially when we can book in to trip on the river with camping. It's so much fun. I love splunking or cave diving. Anyone been in a cave before? Really enjoy it? I found a cave when I was a youth minister in Kentucky, and I just found this forum online, and someone had hand-drawn this, this directions on how to get to this cave and the map inside the cave. And I called a couple of my, my college friends, and I said, hey, let's go check out this cave. Never been there before. Didn't take anyone who had been there before. We just went to explore, and we took lunch with us to eat in the cave, and it was so much fun. I love being on the floor in the living room as Graham is playing and playing with him in the floor. He's 11 months old, and, and it's so much fun. I'm in my happy place after he goes to bed, and Hannah and I can sit on the porch swing on a cool evening and just sit and talk. It brings so much joy to my soul when our foster daughter comes out and joins us, and we just talk for a couple hours. It is an amazing But ultimately, the trip has to end. We come home from whitewater rafting. We come home and have to leave the cave and and go back to work. Eventually, Graham gets tired of playing with me and finds a toy because he's so easily distracted, 11 months old, and I'm just laying there on the floor. Eventually, we have to go to bed, and, and I think about those times, I think about those memories, and it brings joy back to my soul. But eventually those memories will fade. And the joy and and the happiness that it brings me just thinking about those times is still just a fraction of what I feel in those moments of joy and happiness when I'm doing those things. Anything and everything we do in this world, whatever success that you achieve at work, whatever uh, success you have in your family at home, it's all temporary. We have good days, we have bad days. And we have to be careful not to find lasting hope, lasting joy in the things of this world because it can't happen. And we'll constantly be disappointed. We will constantly be searching and longing for more. But if we can stay connected to Christ, if we can stay abiding in Christ and obedient to his word and what he has to say, then there will be a joy, there will be a happiness that is not based on our circumstances. It's not based on what we're doing in that moment. It's not based on how our day is going. It's not based in anything in this world that can happen. It's based in Christ. And that lasts so much longer. 
We look back to the Old Testament and we see a story of a man by the name of Job. And Job had everything. He was a wealthy man. He had lots of children. He was an incredibly well-off man. And more than that, he was a good man. God describes him as blameless and upright. He was a godly man. Now, not perfect. He's human like us. He makes mistakes. But he was a good man. And Satan came to God and said, it's only because you've blessed him that he's a godly man. If you were to take this away, he would curse you in a heartbeat. And so God says, try him. And Satan took everything in a way. And in a matter of a day, a matter of a few hours, he lost everything. His wealth was taken, his livestock, his children died, his house burnt up. Everything was gone. And it was a few days after that when his health started to go also. And he was in pain, he was in agony. And then we read this in Job chapter 6, one of the most real and honest verses, I think, in all of Scripture. Job 6, verse 8, he says, Oh, that my request might come to pass, and that God would grant my longing. Would that God were willing to crush me, that he would loose his hand and cut me off. He's asking, he's begging God to let him die. But... It is still my consolation. I rejoice in unsparing pain that I have not denied the words of the Holy One. Even in his darkest moment, he was able to praise God, praise that he had held on to God, praise that he had not let go of the one who is sustaining life. James writes to Christians who are suffering in the in the. Uh, first century, James 1 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Count it joy because of what it will produce, because of what it will do in your life, but count it joy when you face trials of various kinds. And the only way that we can do that, the only way that we can take whatever bad this world throws at us and it still leave us in a place of joy and happiness is when we're staying connected to God when we're staying connected to Jesus, when we're abiding in Christ and we're remaining obedient to what his word has to say. Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas have been arrested for preaching, for healing, for doing good, for being the hands and feet of Jesus. And in verse 24 of Acts 16, it says, He, the the jailer, put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was arrested for preaching the gospel, I don't know if I'd be praising God. I don't know if I would be singing songs of praise and adoration to God for being arrested. I mean, let's just be honest for a moment. If if that happened here in our culture, we would be livid that with this religious freedom we have, that we've been arrested for worshiping God, we'd be on the phone with our lawyers and attorneys, and we'd be so angry about what had happened. But if we finish out this verse, it says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I'm convinced that the only way these two men were able to continue to praise and worship God in prison is because that they were connected to Christ, because they were abiding in Christ, they were being obedient to Christ. And what happens when we do that, 
What happens even when we don't is that people are watching what we do. If you're a believer, people are watching how you respond in life to circumstances, and it speaks to where our faith is. Is our faith in the temporary things of this world, or is our faith rooted and abiding in Christ? Parents, your kids are watching. And it's not going to be long before they know whether this faith thing is something that's a part of who you are and a part of your life, or if it's just something you do on Sunday. Your coworkers, your friends, your family who don't believe in Christ are watching you, church. They're watching you to see how you respond in life, and they're trying to see And they're going to see if this thing, this relationship you have with God, if it's something that you just do on Sundays, or if it's a core part of who you are. If you are abiding in Christ, if you're staying connected with Christ. We have some of our kids in here because it's fifth Sunday, family Sunday, and kids, the same is true for you. Your friends at school are watching you. They're watching how you interact with other kids. Your teachers are watching you. As we look through scripture, I can't think of a better, of a better testimony that someone can have if a teacher saw a student being the hands and feet of Christ, living out their faith on a regular basis in the classroom. I mean, Jesus elevates kids all throughout scriptures, and there's just something about a childlike faith that is amazing. And kids, hear me on this. You have got to stay connected with Christ. Abide in Christ and be obedient so that whatever happens, you still have that joy inside of you. So that you still have that joy, you still have the peace, you still have true happiness that is long-lasting in our lives. People are watching us. People are watching us and it might be it might be the person who just sees us at Walmart. It might be the officer, if we get rear-ended, who is interacting with us. And we never know if we'll ever see those people again. We might not. But the core of this is not for other people to see. It's a great testimony. It's a great testimony to the goodness of God when we can stay connected and we can keep our joy and keep happiness even in the midst of trials and persecutions and hardship. But the main purpose of this is so that you can experience true joy and happiness in your life, regardless of what happens. I mean, just, just for a moment, let's, let's pretend here. Would you rather be happy or sad? Who would rather be sad? Okay. If you had to choose between being joyful or being hateful, who, who would choose hateful? No one wants those things in their life. We want to be joyful. We want happiness. The problem is sometimes we make it an ultimate good and an ultimate goal, and we try to achieve it on our own. The reality is that it can only come through abiding in Christ and being obedient to what he's asked us to do. True, lasting joy, true, lasting happiness is only found in God. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. 
In fact, I can guarantee you it's going to be hard to remain connected and to remain abiding with Christ and obedient to what he's asked us to do. Think of Jesus in the garden right before he was crucified. He was praying, he was begging God, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way to do what you need to do, please, please, God, another way. But then he just takes a breath. I imagine him taking a breath. Not my will, but yours be done. And in those moments when we're faced with hardship, when we're faced with difficulty, we have to take a breath. We have to make a decision. Are we going to try to pursue happiness and joy on our own through our own means? Or are we going to abide and be obedient to Christ and allow his joy to be our joy? Father God, thank you for the sacrifice that you made on the cross that makes your joy our joy. God, thank you for coming and being a man. Thank you for coming and experiencing, experiencing the same things that we experience in life. It's comforting to know that you've walked many miles in our shoes, that you know what it's like to be a man and to still be tempted, to still be hungry to still be wanting to do something other than what you've asked of us. And God, I just pray that your spirit can be in us the way that, God, that Jesus was in you to give us the strength to abide in you and give us the strength to be obedient to what you've called us to do. God, may we experience the joy of you, the joy of Jesus in our life. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.